Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Natasha Vissa. Um, we had Natasha on in the first season. We talked uh, mainly about sex uh, in sports and youth and in temptations and things that those tough conversations that parents really need to have with their, their athletes. Um, crucial information that they need to think about that, you know, we really don't have these conversations on a normal day. Uh, this episode, we went a little bit more talking about different triggers and, you know, things that, that kind of uh, interrupt um, kids' behavior when they're heading in the wrong direction. So um, we appreciate, again, um, Natasha coming on and giving us her wealth of knowledge of, uh, of this information. So. Um, Let's get into the interview. So, yeah, I wouldn't take up too much of your time. I just wanted to just, you know, come for our part two and just talk about some things that that was uh, that is going on and, and get your input on it so we can share with our audience. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead and get started. And, you know, um, in, in our last conversation was mostly about um, you know, sex and, and kids, and we'll get into that as well. But it's a lot of things were going on with the mental health in athletes, right? I just saw the other day it was uh, a couple of suicides in college um, from the mental aspect of athletes. Um, before we get into our topics, um, give me your your take on mental health and athletes, since it's a new topic that's really starting to, to come out now. Oh, yes, thanks. Um, yeah, so uh, the pressure and the situations, or uh, especially with our young athletes coming up, the pressure is so um, immense for the young kids. It is hard for them to cope. But we need to understand that a mental disorder, uh, when it comes to a predisposition, we need to discern between when it's a true mental disorder and when it is really just stress of ordinary sport activities. So when we see that, I don't want our parents to feel overwhelmed and say, oh, this is going to happen to my kid. Because sometimes when it's a true mental disorder, and we tend to, in today's day and age, to use depression and anxiety very loosely as an ordinary word in today's vocabulary. But actually, um, saying depression or anxiety is diagnosable mental disorder. It's really different than just saying, I feel sadness or I feel overwhelmed, all right? Uh, and the intensity a person is truly struggling with the mental disorder, like major depression disorder and having suicide attempts, that is a serious issue. So uh, yeah, I know your audience is parents, so we need to know what's going on with our kids. If they have a predisposition for mental disorder and there's a lot of stress or triggers in their life, 
It can prompt that pre predisposition for that mental disorder to develop. Uh, sometimes even if they do have a predisposition and there's no triggers, they might not develop the mental disorder. But it's the understanding of when a child say they feel depressed, um, it's important to discern what does he mean by depressed. Is it general teenage anxiety, stress, sadness, things like that, or is there something more serious? So one of the important things for us as parents is to listen to understand what our child is saying. It, always try to respond to them and help them to make them feel better. Sometimes we just don't think about just to make them feel better, to understand what they're struggling with. That's already one step closer to your child if they're struggling with something serious like a mental disorder. But yes, I'm thinking about the parents, but it is important um, worldwide. Our, our kids and our athletes are stressed. The pressure is much higher and um, to perform. So I agree, it is a, a, a trend that we see in the industry. And you talking about the pressures and also um, from our you know, community, social media, parents, coaches, peers, um, what's your take on uh, the burnout and stress um, from you know, uh, kids uh, wanting to perform? You know, frame that for me. Yeah, so uh, uh, this again, we need to make sure because there's different kids we're working with. So uh, I've got two uh, different types of kids that I tend to work with in my office. And the one kid is like, they have the pressure on themselves. Okay, even if the parents say, I don't care, just enjoy the sport. You don't need to be like the best you know, of the best. You don't have to get a team or whatever. That's not coming from the parents. It's coming from the child, okay? So the child wants to be the best. Uh, and second place is not good enough, all right? That's the self-pressure uh, a child puts on themselves. So that, if they do that, it's really hard to work with a kid like that because even if you tell them you can operate on B-level, <laughs> their mental right. mentality is not set up that way, okay? So uh, we need to identify how that, child identify with himself and how he talks to himself about how a winner looks like because he actually puts the pressure on himself then there's other children okay or other sporting athletes that the coaches they have the natural talent and they started off well but they're suffering on with burnout and i do have a few of that so they start at the um primary school level and they're really top performers all right, and the coaches take them on and the child loves the sport. But when they reach teenage year and the teenage hormones kick in and stuff like that, the child loses a little bit of interest in the sport due to the pressures that's too high and they don't want to enjoy it anymore. But the coaches keep on put on the pressure. And not the coaches, the parents, the yeah. society. Right. And that's where they would come to me because the parents say, well, they don't, they, my child might be depressed course they don't do what they don't want to do the sports anymore so that's the two extremes <laughs> that we are facing with and again depending on your child's personality we're going to handle these things differently all right because we want to make sure or not make sure we want to love them to make sure what the, that we offer the kid what they need specifically for them to inspire them to become the best version of themselves and uh, maybe i can tell a story in that regard <laughs> of one of my clients is that okay yeah <laughs> all right so, so uh, this specific um, person, let's call her, uh, him 
uh, John, <laughs> okay, just to keep his uh, confidentiality, because uh, he's actually a top performer um, sportman in our country. So we'll call him John. And um, what happened is um, he got a lot involved and he was really successful as a very young child, 14, 13, 14. Okay, mm -hmm. and then as he, he was successfully become professional in uh, in our standard, he was professional went uh, and a beat internationally and all of that. And then what happened is he's got actually a love, um, a romantic disappointment, mm -hmm. and there was some abuse and stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in his teenage years, all right. And then he completely lost his identity as a sportman, as a sportman. And that's where we want to say, when they are teenagers, was the coach too hard? Now, in his case, the coach and the parents pushed too hard. They didn't listen to him. And that pressure broke, broke him completely. And he lost his identity. Mm. And actually, now, fast forward a few years later, he is actually now came back <laughs> um, in the field again. He's a high performer again because he found his identity. Because he said, I'm a... I'm, a, I'm the sportman. I am this. This is who I am. And he actually loved it. But the, the pressure broke him. Uh, and then all the pressure of the other things in life. Of course, it's not, we're not just a sport person, all right? We are, and we're not just sexual people. And we, we are holistic. We need to look at all areas, body, our um, relationships, everything. And if we take that out of balance and just focus on sport, we tend to lose the bigger picture <laughs> of where right. we want to go with, with our success. Yes. You're right. And you hit on, on a good point. Um, and that, you know, when kids are going through that, through the, through the transition, it's almost a, a void needed to be there, right? It's, it's something needed to be full, for, whether it's from the parents as not getting the support, the peers, teachers. Um, what's, that, what's that correlation between the, the quick stress relief um, that kids are turning to uh, for sex activity because they're not getting that those voids filled. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So especially kids that are stressed want a quick release to get rid of the anxiety and stress. Okay. And the easiest way. So what we uh, tend to do this a few uh, go and smoke, <laughs> go and use some drugs or something, alcohol or something, and pornography or sex. Pornography is easier, uh, it's less risky, there's not a risk of uh, pregnancy or stuff like that. Uh, you can do it in your quietness of your own home, so that, that gives us a quick release to feel better. And that's how they uh, actually, in an unhealthy way, learn to cope with their stress. All right, so um, when we, uh, so what did you, uh, so how do we deal with that? So first of all, we need to recognize if our child is stressed, how is he dealing with that stress and anxiety? I always coach my kids uh, that I work with in my office. I coach them on the correct level of stress or anxiety when they encounter, uh, uh, when they go for a pro or an important event, okay? It's not that there shouldn't be any anxiety because then they don't care, all right? It needs to be the anxiety shouldn't paralyze them. It should make them alert. Mm. When they are getting paralyzed by the anxiety, they want a quick relief and they tend to go to sex and stuff like that. And we don't realize that because we think our kids are safe. They're in their rooms, <laughs> but they're watching pornography. They're messing up their minds about how they view sex and other, um, you know, how sex works and how that people are just an object and stuff like that. And that's their quick release. 
So how are we going to teach our kids this? And this is where it's actually for me an easy, an easy way for a sport person to teach this. Now, easy and simple is probably not the same thing. But the thing is with the coaches, if I hope coaches is listening, because when we are teaching our kids uh, a coach, as a coach, we teach them to do the hard thing to get the result. So um, sport, uh, sport children that's busy with sport, they know there's a lot of sacrifice mm. to get to where they want to go. And that's the same with, uh, with our mental health. There is sacrifices that we need to make to be mentally healthy. That means if I know I'm not mentally strong enough or if your muscles is not strong enough to do that, whatever sport you are doing, you will go and exercise it. All right, the coach will say that. Now say mentally, we need to go and mentally exercise a healthy way to deal with our stress. Mm. And that's the same. Our brain is just a muscle. The same as all the other muscles. So there's a difference between our brain and our mind. Our brain is our physical muscle and our mind is how we think. All right. In this time up message, we got Eric Watson. Historically, when going to law enforcement, uh, that was never my ambition. Never my my goal in life to be a, a cop, to be a police officer, a deputy sheriff. I didn't want anything. I, I didn't want to be associated with law enforcement. Uh, why? Because everything I saw back back then uh, was negative. Negative aspect. And every time I see a uniform uh, police officer uh, in, the, in the neighborhood, uh, it's always something bad. It's not. It's never anything good. Uh, the only interaction with us is where you're going, who you are, where you're from. Uh, get on the walls and catch you down. Right. That kind of thing. So, so there was nothing positive about me even wanting to get involved in uh, in that kind of career. Um, you know, so uh, so I had a pivotal moment. I, uh, one one summer, uh, I was just after got to playing basketball um, on Dallas Street Park. Uh, two cops uh, came on on the block and uh, tried to engage us. Uh, me and a young bunch of younger guys uh, with conversation. That was something that has, has never happened to us. Nonetheless, it was, was, it was harmless. Mm. Um, so, but this is a time when uh, when the NWA came out with, uh, <laughs> uh, with Easy A, with, you know, F the police and that right. kind of stuff. So right. uh, they came on a block and uh, we, a friend went inside the house and up this bedroom window uh, and started playing, started playing the, the, the rap music, the rap song. Right. And uh, obviously that, that kind of teed off. For sure. So, uh, we all started laughing and, you know, falling on the ground. And we knew we were just you know, agonizing. Now let's get back to the interview. So we need to train our brain to handle stress appropriately, like a muscle, mm. and handle that stress in a healthy way and not to go for that quick fix, all right? And do you guys know how to do that? How to train our kids to practice our brain muscle? <laughs> <laughs> Can that's I help good, you guys? That's, that's a good point. I never really thought about it, about, you know, yeah. we kind of match kind of map everything together where the brain is a muscle and your mind is your thoughts two different things totally right so what you're yeah. saying is like if you need to go get stronger 
to play your sport. You go lift weights, you go run, you do things of that nature. So mentally, if you're having these thoughts and having these pressures, then you need to train the mind to think good thoughts and kind of, you know, deter that, deter those, uh, those thoughts per se. Yes. And especially when the kids reach teenage years, when the hormones is coming into the body, all right, they tend to be more stressed, more sensitive to stress. So we need to train that muscle. So it is the way we think, all right, but, and, or not, but, and (laughs) our muscle, how do we train the physical muscle? We do our upper upper body strength, we would typically say push-ups or whatever. Our brain to do that is by breathing. Okay, I want to, all coaches need to do this. I actually go to our school here and mm-hmm. go and teach our kids how to breathe. Okay, mm-hmm. now we tend to say if you are stressed out, breathe. Okay, but that's silly. So if you have a major big game tomorrow to play, uh, uh, whatever game you have, or maybe you need to have an athletic meet, meeting or something, you wouldn't practice the day before and didn't do anything the week before that. We practice throughout the year for that. Uh, important events all right but when it comes to our mind we come and say okay you guys we stressed out let's breathe quickly we don't breathe a day before (laughs) the event (laughs) we're going to exercise that brain muscle the same way we are exercising all our other muscles throughout the year and this is how it happens so uh when i'm with the coaches here and when i work with them every time before they start exercising we first exercise our brain and we do this by breathing so how we do this is we do a a lazy eight so if you have your hand in front of you in the middle you're going to make a lazy eight all right and we do that three times a day three lazy eights so what how i mean with that so picture in your mind's eye your finger in the middle of your nose more or less and you're going to breathe in through your nose you go for the first half of your eight then you're going to hold it when you're back in the middle. And then you're going to release your air, the air through your mouth, twice as slow as you are closing your lazy egg. And you're going to um, blow out slowly, twice as slow as you breathe in through your nose. Okay. And that's what I mean by three lazy eggs. That forces the oxygen from your limbic system, your fight and flight that activates that anxiety to your prefrontal cortex to relax. So it's actually the oxygen that is forced in your brain that gives your brain muscle that exercise. Mm. So when we do that three times a day or every time, every day when you exercise, before you exercise, after you exercise, you are teaching your children to manage the anxiety. It's not going to go away. We need to manage it. And that, and then just before the, uh, the, uh, the, the competition, we can breathe again because we stretch nicely. So let's stretch our minds. But that's how we're going to help our kids to focus on their techniques because we did coach them. They know their techniques. They know what they need to do. They just need to calm that limbic system so they're not over, they're not flooded with fear, but they can focus and think of what they were trained on. And that's how we want to help our kids to exercise that mind. Good, good point. Um, as coaches, you know, uh, we have a young team and, you know, sometimes we can't wait till kids get a little older so they can kind of <clears throat> do some of the things and some run some of the plays and do some things. But that could be problematic when the hormones can be included with puberty. Um, tell us what some of the effects that can be detrimental when that happens in sports performance. 
Yes, so as they reach puberty, uh, their whole bodies are flooded. Let's call it a hormone cocktail. <laughs> if we can say it like that, it's, it's a nice little cocktail of different levels of dopamine, testosterone, oxytocin, and stuff like that. So their bodies is changing out of proportion. And especially for girls, if we think about girls, at girls athletes, all right, uh, they feel more fatigue at certain times of the month even though they wouldn't have started menstruating, all right? Because uh, active um, ladies, uh, young teenage girls that are very active, they might not start menstruating so early. They tend to start menstruating later, all right? But they still do develop um, in puberty, but the menstruation is not showing. So sometimes the parents um, would think, oh, well, she didn't start menstruating, so she's not going through puberty. But she is actually developing, and the hormones is flooding their body. And that causes fatigue, tiredness, moodiness, all right? And the thing is with that moodiness, we need to actually understand that this is due to their hormones. They are not just being difficult teenagers, right. all right? And because they are mentally fatigued, and tired because the body is overwhelmed and flooded with all these hormones and then add the stress as well. <laughs> so we've got a nice little cocktail running there in the poor child's mind. Okay. And then we add that pressure. So what then happens is they get, so I, call, I like to call it a failed perfectionist. That first child we talked about, mm -hmm. like if I can't do it perfect, if I can't be the best, I'd rather not try. And this I get a lot. A, a, a real top performer that doesn't want to try anything anymore. They just, they're out. And that's actually just the hormones <laughs> and some pressure and stuff that actually cause them to actually emotionally feel defeated because their body is not acting the way it should in our mind. But they, should, they are stronger because now think about the boys. The boys are getting stronger when puberty kicks in, <laughs> You know, they, right. the muscles is getting stronger. So they are stronger, but mentally are they coached to handle all those hormones? <laughs> and when that testosterone and hormones is kicking in, their minds are all over the place about sex and stuff. And then put that child in front of a computer with pornography. Mm. And sure, that's a dangerous, dangerous place. Because now he finds this something that, just his whole body is responding to these images, all right? And, uh, you know, and he feels good and feels better. And it's just the medicine he needs to get the release he needs. And then the focus is not at the game anymore. Uh, yeah, so it, it, there's a lot more mental um, challenges or psychological challenges that happens in puberty. And if we handle it with care as parents, with understanding and coaches, I believe teenagers can make it through. And the thing is, the sport is the place where they actually get that release of stress, actually. You know, you feel better. That dopamine eye, a runner's eye. I experienced it with my own daughter um, two days ago. She was, she's now a full-blown teenager. And um, she was mad when she got into the car. <laughs> Somebody at school just didn't do something right. right. And uh, we were actually, as I picked her up, I'm driving to another place because she's a long-distance runner. So she needs to go and exercise every day. And she was just, I'm not running today. This is horrible. Nobody likes me. I don't want to do anything. So typically what we want to do is, oh, you must go and exercise. You should. 
you know, and the coach is waiting for you. Everybody's expecting you. So what do we do when our kids are so resistant? And they do feel overwhelmed, all right? And she's tired and stuff like that. I just listen. I just say, oh, it sounds hard. Sounds like you had a hard day. And I didn't talk about the athletics. I was just driving in that direction. And as we get there, she said, I don't want to do this. I said, it's okay, but we are here now. So just go and run. <laughs> and <laughs> I stopped. I didn't push her. I listened to her all her moaning all the way. She got out and she went for the run. And when she came back, she was a different girl. Mm. I was like, where's that other girl? I didn't ask her this. I just thought. Right, right. Because that natural run is high, that dopamine. We need to use that to our advantage. Not without manipulating her. I didn't manipulate her. I just tried to understand that this is hard. The home hormones is hard. <laughs> it's really hard for our kids. Yeah, I think when you go, when parents try to go and force them, it just makes them react totally differently. You know what I mean? And when I was in my training sessions, when I was uh, training, um, you know, uh, teenage girls, I was always asked the parents, the mom, hey, look, you know, not to be uh, personal, but can you tell me their time? You know what I mean? Because of then in practice and they're not going hard because of their fatigue and got, you know, um, mood swings and I'm trying to push them, that's not going to work. So I sometimes I needed to know when their time was and I would kind of, my approach was a whole lot different, you know, when I knew that they were going through those situations. Yeah, because we don't want to work against the puberty. We want to make it work for us. Yes. And one of the biggest things that I coach the girls on as well, it's not acceptable to just say, oh, it's that time of the month, so I'm a moody, moody, pain in the butt <laughs> teenager. No. Okay, what do you need to get through this week? All right? So in a healthy way, we understand that it might be harder for you to manage your mood, but what do you need? So as coaches, like you did, fantastic, okay? What do we, what exercise is best for you to actually get? Because we don't need to be, because a woman, that time of the month, she feels worthless, bloatly, ugly. She can't do anything. And then like just a few weeks later, she's on top of the world. She can conquer. She can be the best version of herself. But we don't want to keep them down there. It's okay if they feel that way. We don't want to break their identity in that low point. It's just, how do we manage this part of our bodies? Because our bodies are a tool to be successful. So we need to love our bodies to protect it and use it effectively to get, to reach our goals. You made a good, um, you told the audience about that short-term fix when your daughter didn't want to go. Um, but what about a long-term fix? What about the temptation that goes along for a couple of days or weeks or months? Um, help the audience um, with some some tactics and some ideas on how to keep them focused during those uh, those tempting teenage years. Okay, so this is the um, I need to explain it by two principles or laws. All right, uh, so let me just quickly give you an idea of how laws work. So let's refer to the law of gravity. Okay, I'm just going to use that as an example. The law of gravity says is if you stand on the roof. You get in jump, you're going to fall. <laughs> gravity is down. So that's the law of gravity. We don't question that. So if we don't believe in gravity and you jump, are you going to fly? No, the law always apply. Okay. So if we understand the law of gravity, it's always on. I'm not scared that I would fall. I understand how it works. And if I apply it correctly, I can even make a plane fly. 
okay, if we mm. understand the law. That's yeah. how fantastic it is. Now, there's the same law principles. Uh, I, I don't like using the word law, but it's actually a principle, okay? And there's two psychological principles that I want to refer to. So the one is the law of easy, hot, or the principle easy, hot, hard, easy. So how the principle works is, remember, a principle is only a principle if you can apply it at all areas of life, okay? So what it says, it states is, the principle says, if I choose easy now, mm. my consequences later is harder. Mm. If I choose hard now, the consequences later is easy, mm -hmm. all right? So either one that you choose, there will be pain. The pain of regret or the pain of discipline. You, mm. That's the law. You got, if you, you say, I don't believe in it, you can... You can Try jumping and see if you fall. <laughs> so it, again, and it applies in everything in life. All right. So if you can't like apply it in everything in life, then it's not a principle. So if our kids choose easy now to give in to the quick fix, it's going to be hard later to get off that addiction, to learn new habits, to lose that weight, mm. to pay back that debt. <laughs> Whatever consequence, you, easy you choose now, the harder is later. Now, the hard of later is always harder than the hard of discipline or choosing the hard now. Mm. Because think about it. It's easy to give in to that temptation and you might get pregnant. Mm. The harder later, it's much harder to deal with that pregnancy than the hard to choose now and say no for now and not no forever. And mm. this is the thing when it comes to sexual temptation. We tend to say no, 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 no. But the thing is, it's not no, it's just no for now, <laughs> not no forever. And we just, and we don't give our children hope for later. So what will the easier later be if we say no now? If I choose hard now and say, no, this is not what I want. What is the easy that's later? And we tend not to go there with our kids, okay? Because now we only want the success in maybe the sport or academics or whatever we're busy with. Are you dreaming with your child about their future relationship? And what is that worth waiting for? Is What's that easy that's waiting for them later? Because mm. you're going to tell a story one day. Now you're going to tell all the stories that was so hard, that, that, that's the harder later that you choose. So that's the first principle. So we want to teach our children this. You choose your heart. 13 out of the 16 years I was at South Carolina State, we either finished first or second. That's crazy. That's 13 crazy. out of 16 years I was at South Carolina State. Wow. We either finished first or second. We graduated uh, right about 75 to 80% of our student athletes that stayed the, the whole time. That's awesome. So that was the legacy that I, that I left at South Carolina State in 2003. The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, 
apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. And then I want to say, honor your children's choice. We, we tend to manipulate our children to make them do what we want to. Sure. But we can honor their choice if they choose to not go for practice. Let's say that. They are overwhelmed and they're stressed out and whatever. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, that, and then you honor them to say, okay, you don't have to have practice today. And let's say it's a team sport and they weren't part of that one drill that's like in hockey might say the the small corner where they everybody needs to be strategic placed and that your child weren't there. Honor their choice by letting them have the consequences of their choice. They not be might not be, they might be benched for the next game. Right. Don't go and fix it and try to help. honor their choice and say, well, you chose not to and let them have the consequence. Don't manipulate to make them do what you think is uh, would be best for them. They can learn from their own consequences to see it's really hard to go and practice, but it's nice to be part and included in the team or whatever. You see, it applies in everything, the principle. So that's the one. May I give you one more principle? Is that all right? Yeah, please. And that's, that's the principle of sacrifice. It's almost the same, but that's where we say, I'm sacrificing something of a lower value for something of a higher value. Mm. So again, they sacrifice, but you choose the value of your sacrifice. Mm. Now, I love what, who said that? I, I know Dr. Paul says this. He says, pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Mm. Mm. Okay. So you get to choose. Choose, your, or choose what sacrifice you want to give. So you, if you choose the sacrifice of a lower value for something of a higher value, then it's not so painful because that's just the pain you choose. But if you have this victim mindset and, oh, see, everything is bad, then you live in misery because you don't feel you had a choice in your outcome. But see, if we choose this principle or understand these principles and see that you have a choice, you can choose to jump or hold on to the roof and not fall. You have the power. The life is actually not that scary. We just need to teach our kids to understand the principles and, and suffer the natural consequences. If you jump, you're going to fall. <laughs> and this is the two principles that works beautifully with sport, with anybody. But I think in sport, this is the, the, the sportmen normally understand this very effectively when I explain this. <laughs> no, it's, it's perfectly good. Um, and when we're talking about, you know, my, my thing is, is sports. 
Um, and how is it where sports can be not beneficial to um, teenagers that have like crazy hormone things going on? Because we say that's a sports can be, be used as a stress reliever and a kind of distraction, but how can it be, you know, detrimental as well? Okay. So, so sport can actually, uh, yeah, so it can break or make, so, okay, this is another principle. Let me explain it with the third principle. So I leave, teach you three ones. So this one is the law of opposites, all right? So, or the principle of opposites. For every up, there's a down. For every left, there's a right, okay? For every negative, there's a positive. So when we choose something like a sport, all right, it is a very positive that children learn self-discipline, they learn self-respect, they learn to work in a team, they learn sacrifice, all of that fantastic things, all right? But what is the opposite of, of that wonderful things that we're getting with the sports? Can you think of one? <laughs> um, no, go ahead. Okay, so I would think the pressure of always wanting to be the best Mm-hmm. Can be deter, uh, can actually have a negative effect in a child that's a perfectionist. Mm. Okay, so it can actually break a child like that because that child, uh, we call it a failed perfectionist. I think I referred to it late, uh, just before. A failed perfectionist is why would I try if I'm not perfect? Then I won't try. Okay, and that's the negative side, and that can actually break it. So um, we need to be aware of that. So when we know we're working with this fantastic child, and this is the positive side, we need to be aware of the negative side and manage that. We can't get rid of the negative side, and that's not the aim, because we can't get rid of the down or the left or the right. (laughs) It's always there. We need to create awareness of that so that we can support the the child in the weakness. We build on their strength, and we manage the weakness. Uh, I think in sports, you probably do coach that way to say we work on our strengths, we make that the best, and we manage our weakness. We're not going to take the weakness and make that your best. We're just managing that and use our best to our advantage, strategic advantage in the game. And that's the same when it comes to our mental capacity or emotional strength. Because even though sport is fantastic, it can actually turn out that our children actually uh, doesn't build that self-confidence that we wish they have. And, um, and a lot of parents, I, maybe uh, I'm not sure of your audience, I know you've got professional people listening, but if you would have uh, um, get your child started on a sport to build his self-confidence, that's probably one of, uh, one of the top reasons we get our children to participate in a younger age in sports so that they build their confidence. That's the positive side, eh? (laughs) All right. And we tend to think that if the children that's top performers are the ones that have the biggest self-esteem. But there was an interesting uh, psychology study done by Richard Bednar. And he um, investigated what builds a child's self-esteem. And it was interesting in their results, what they found is what they found is a child's self-esteem is not directly correlated to the outcome of the task or the outcome of the sport. So the number one child doesn't necessarily have the best self-esteem. A child's self-esteem are built when they see themselves taking on hard things. 
that's the correlation to a person that has a healthy self-esteem. So we tend to like pressure our children and making them do all these exercises so that they are the best. But that's not going to make them the best have a great self-esteem. Because then if they are the best and they fail, their self-esteem is going to take a blow because they're not, and that's why they stop participating. Mm. Mm. We want them to see, to take on hard things, to see I can do hard things. Even if I don't succeed, I can do hard things because life is hard. And when we use the sport to build our kids' self-esteem, we want them to see, to take on hard things. So good example, let's use the one of my daughter just now. It was really hard for her to go and exercise when she was feeling like that, but she did it. Mm. So I was more proud of her to go and exercise when she didn't feel like it than even her best win for the season. Because mm. she can do hard things and that builds their self, self-esteem, their self-confidence. Uh, because they can do anything if it's hard. <laughs> if they can see, they can do it. Good point. But I want <clears throat> to jump off the, 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 the students or the kids per se. And yeah. um, what's very important in this uh, whole thing are the coaches and how they deal with the kids and the students because if if the kids aren't supported and have a good you know coach or someone that's really receptive and uh and understand this environmental distractions then the kids is is in a lose-lose situation how important is the, the coaches and, and the support system have to be when dealing with these things with with uh with players and, and students and kids okay so the, the thing is um there's also a, a psychological study <laughs> i can't now remember where the study was done but it it actually did a study about influence who influence our children the most so your uh, as a parent from zero to eight a parent has the most influence on our kids lives from eight to 13 the coaches and the teachers had the biggest influence in our kids' lives. And then from 13 older, it's the, their peers. Now, think about it. Um, the influence the coach have is right there in the teenage years, <laughs> okay? When they go into that puberty and body changes and all of that. So you want to uh, pick a coach that really knows uh, his stuff. <laughs> when it comes to uh, mental toughness, knowing and understanding what a teenager goes in the changes of going into the teenage years. But then the study also found it's not just the age, but it's the, uh, the, um, the, it's the strength of the relationship also determines the influence. So if a coach have a good relationship with the, um, with the, uh, with the kids, okay, they have a strong influence on that child. And that child will be open to the influence, okay, in the input and uh, of their suggestions on how to perform in their sport and in general life. So we shouldn't underestimate that, okay? And then I wanted to add something, a distinction to that. As a coach, are we responsible for that kid or are we um, contributing to that kid? That is the mindset us as coaches and the teachers have a privilege to. Mm. And sometimes we feel, and maybe the influence of the parents, because they pay the money to get the training and stuff, where they feel responsible to get this child to perform. 
and taking that responsibility, are you really take it's a responsibility that can be a very negative because then we manipulate that child to reach their goals. Mm. Or are you contributing to that child's success as a holistic person in their life? That's a little bit different, how you show up. So I, I always ask, are you contributing to their success? Are you serving that child? Okay. Or are you pleasing the parent <laughs> or pleasing them or pleasing the whatever the performance or whatever they need to do? We need to serve that child. And if that child feels you're on their side, they tend to open. I'm not sure about you, but they tend to open up to the coaches sure. and tell the coaches much more than they tell the parents. <laughs> sure, for sure. Um, as a parent and you have a you know teenage athlete, kid, what have you, um, and a parent is one situation this, this kid is, you know, highly tempting and, and really engaging in sexual activity. And this one kid is not, she's sexting. Um, what do you think parents, is it okay for, for parents to be like, well, okay, well, at least she's not engaging in activity. She's just doing this. Is that a, 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 a easy, you know, position to kind of to play on what's your take on that yeah that's a that's a bit, bit of a a wipe out from the parent side <laughs> okay that's not okay all right maybe i need to give you a little bit of sex education <laughs> to give you the correct answer if that's okay for sure let's go and, okay so what is your biggest sex organ your heart okay okay women that's a good answer women tend to say this skin uh, when I ask a teenage boy, they would say penis. Right, <laughs> say right. Okay, but actually our biggest sex organ is our brain. All right? Yeah. And our brain releases certain hormones mm. when we have our first sexual experience. All right? Mm. Not intercourse, sexual experience. Now, mm. for a guy, it is vasopressant. And you can go and search it. A vasopressant, they call the monogamy hormone. All right? And then for women, it's oxytocin. They call it the love hormone, if you go and Google that, okay? Mm. So the purpose of vasopressant is it actually imprints on that experience. So it's like a dog. Uh, let's say a dog uh, is, finds a little egg and there's a duck in, and a duck would hatch. That duck will imprint on that dog and think that that dog is his parent, all right? Yeah. That is the, that's what vasopressin is. It imprints on, it tends to imprint on that first experience. So what happens is that child thinks that that is sex. So if they're busy with sexting, mm. they think that that what I'm seeing is sex. And you know, that's not sex. Right. All right. Now, oh, what's the bigger deal? All right. But now we're not dreaming about their husbands and wives one day. We think they, they're safe. I, and I do get this a lot, right? Their parents say, oh, my kid is safe. He's just in the room, but he's busy watching pornography and sexting. All right? They learn to teach. There's a difference between love and lust. So they're programming their brain that sex is only lust. It's not love. It's not intimacy. It's not safe. Vasopressant imprint, oxytocin. It's the love hormone. It says, actually, what I experience means I can trust this. Mm. Now, they actually did a study of oxytocin being released four times in a woman's body when she breastfeeds, when she's in labor, when she's embraced, and when she um, is she's having sex. And that oxytocin says, this 
I trust. It's like a baby being breastfed. They trust their mom to feel safe. All right. Mm -hmm. That's why children that's not being um, rejected as a, a newborn baby, they have a hard time to bond with anybody or trust anybody because oxytocin weren't, um, they didn't have oxytocin release. So they actually have brain damage. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is they did a study of women that slept around and oxytocin. The more sexual experience a woman has, the less oxytocin she has in her brain. So she loses her ability to bond and trust the guy because sex means nothing. Mm -hmm. Sex doesn't mean I can trust. Now, she's having the sexual stuff, sending the sex thing stuff. The guy is saying, all right, I'm just learning that this body and this stuff that I see is nice. Now, they meet this person right and they get married. Are their brain just going to be magically fixed now that they get married and actually, they are actually not sexually satisfied mm. as married couples when they teach their, their brain that sex look like this. Now we as sport people can explain this so beautifully for our kids. Because think about it, if you're a tennis player, you learn that perfect serve and you practice that perfect serve like a million times if you're a professional player. You don't even think about it anymore. It's just your body responding. Now, why in all sports and all activities in our lives, we teach our brains hundreds and thousands of uh, times to do something one way, but I think when it comes to sex, it would be anything different. Mm. You teach your brain over and over and over again that sex means lust, it looks like that. When you get married or when you find that person, it's not going to be okay. Mm. Your brain has learned it a different way. So it is a big deal. Maybe she won't get an STD and maybe she won't get pregnant. Mm. But will she have a successful relationships down the line? Because it's more than just the physical. It is a spiritual thing. It's a brain thing. And our brain chemicals respond to that experience because it's heightened with emotions. So we can't say that's okay. <laughs> that was maybe a long answer, but I do have more teachings and stuff on that. It was a very quick explanation, but I, I think that would get you started. <laughs> In this time, my message, we got Eric Watson. Professionalism should always be there um, for officers, regardless of the, the attitude of the driver. And in most drivers who stop, so they're upset because you stopped them. Number one, it's a big inconvenience. And they're hoping and praying that they don't receive a citation or a ticket because now, you know, there's money out of their pocket. So police officers and deputy sheriffs have to understand that uh, that's so it's going to be natural for that driver uh, to have a, a kind of negative attitude towards you uh, because of those, those factors. Uh, but then the police officer need to maintain that professionalism uh, and don't don't uh, stoop, uh, stoop down to that level. Uh, now, now that's where the breakdown in communication happens. Now let's get back to the interview. Well, and, and my last question, my last topic is, well, something that I wanted answered is, why is it? Because you know, like. When females see a athletic build guy, um, why are they most mostly um, attracted to uh, athletic build guys? And is it true that uh, the more athletic you are, are you a better 
six are you are you better at six if you're more athletic per se okay good question <laughs> okay so what is better with six okay so first all right um our uh, our minds are like uh, uh, were created for survival all right so the fittest strongest person is going to protect myself and my baby from a predator if we think about mm. thousands of years ago so we want somebody to protect me and my baby if a predator. So that body is beautiful or is effective to keep me safe. That's the primate instinct. The second thing is our minds has been trained that that looks sexy. Mm. That is beautiful. That's, so society and social media and things has taught us that. So maybe our primate instinct is not even counting anymore because we are so conditioned mm. on how it looked like. Now, I like that you said, I, mean, I had a guy <laughs> that actually, heard, it wasn't in my counseling room. He actually, it was at a works function at my husband's work or something. And he heard what I do for a living. And he was really intrigued. And he said, well, I have so much practice in sex. I don't think you can teach me anything. I'm like the best person in sex. <laughs> and I was laughing. Sorry, I was just thinking about that. Because the thing is, practice doesn't make perfect when it comes to sex and your body a perfect body doesn't make you good at sex because if your brain has imprinted on lust and pornography you're not going to be a good lover mm. okay because intimacy are fueled by exclusivity mm. not experience mm. so if you want to have intimacy it is unique with one person all right, it is not with everybody. So that intimacy, intimacy and thing that you actually most of the people are looking for in a relationship and not just that lustful thing that you can do porn with, <laughs> okay? That if you want that, you're not good in sex. You're just lustful. Now, interesting, I had this couple uh, in my office some time ago. They didn't have sex for eight years and this guy is bold, okay? <laughs> And the problem is he couldn't get an erection if he didn't look at porn. Mm -hmm. He couldn't get sexually aroused, even if he's muscly built, mm. if he didn't look at porn. Because he trained his brain that that what I look at gets mm -hmm. me excited. Mm. He didn't imprint on his wife. He imprinted on, on the dog, like the duckling. He imprinted right. on porn. He didn't imprint on his wife. Now, the beautiful thing of oxytocin and vasopressin, vasopressin, like I said, is the monogamy hormone. So they actually tested it. There's a, a little a periwool. It's like a little rat type of mouse thing. And they saw that this periwools are loyal only to one partner their whole life, like a penguin. But they didn't cut out the poor penguin's brain. They cut out this <laughs> periwool's brain. And they actually took out the vasopressin out of the periwool's brain and see what happened if they take out vasopressin, if they reduce or inhibit vasopressin to be released in their first sexual experience. You know what happened to that periwools, that mm. guys? They mm. start sleeping around. Mm. So vasopressin are released in your first sexual experience. You imprint on that person, not on sex. Mm. So you want your brain, if you understand that your brain is your biggest sex organ, you want your kid's brain to imprint on his wife one day. 
You want them to be loyal and have intimate and intimacy and a successful romantic sexual relationship. You want them to imprint on his wife, not on sex. And your and the wife, the woman, wants to release oxytocin that say, if I am married to this person and they become one, they don't just become one physically, they become one with their mind. Because the first section is the man imprints on the wife and the wife bonds with their husband and they become one. Mm. It's much harder to get that separated than just say, oh, I'm good at sex. Because a woman won't stay because he's good at giving an erection or having an orgasm. We're looking for intimacy. Mm. That's the ultimate connection. It's about connection. Yeah. So maybe that's a long no, that's, answer. No, that's that's, 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 that's awesome. <laughs> and because, you know, we as men, we as men, we think it's all about us, right? Because, the, you know, yeah. from the social media, how we grew up, um, we just think, you know, it's all about us. We're just good, good lovers, per se. And we can't be that way if it wasn't receptive in the female's mind initially first, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. So all the beauty of the man's body and the woman's body, it's not a bad thing. And men are created visually to be aroused. That's why pornography is so enticing because mm. you get aroused visually. All right, but if we do it the right way, if we understand the power of our brain, it's not just by saying no, 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 it's understanding your body and your mind. The same if you understand your body um, in a sporting environment and how to get it on peak performance, we want our mind and our sexual experience also to be on peak performance. All right, and that makes us uh, successful in all areas of our lives. All and right. That's why, and, that's, and that's, and that's, I mean, that's, that, that goes to the fact that why it's not a females, I can't say don't like porn, but it's not really as, as, as prevalent as males liking porn versus female because it's a, more, it's a visual effect. Yes. So men tend to be more visual than women. Yes. But don't think that women don't watch porn. In today's society, with the stats, it has drastically changed. That's all right, true. women okay uh, tend to be uh, watching also a lot of porn, much more than in the past because it's so easily available. Uh, and women tend to. When I work with teenagers, if you have a teenager girl, the girls tend to be more involved with sexting, sending naked photos and stuff because mm. they want the approval of the guy. Okay, mm -hmm. rather than just engaging in porn, they tend to get that way. And then when they send the photos and stuff, and the boy got its little high, they reject them. Mm -hmm. All right. And then what happens? They their brain is taught, oh, sex mean nothing. Guy just wants sex. I actually had the most uh sad, sad story the other day with one of my clients. She's an older lady, and she said, Well, if I don't give the guy sex, all right. I want the guy, but if I don't give him sex, I will lose him. And that's the society we're raised in. Mm. And I know that's not, that's common. The girls think if I don't send him a, a naked photo, if I don't give him sex, I won't have a guy that, uh, that would be mine. But the problem is that is not intimacy. And even if you give him that, all you are teaching your brain with oxytocin is you can't trust a guy. Mm. So after all these years, she has been taught that a guy just wants sex and a guy doesn't love her. She just needs to give sex because sex is one of the things you have to do, you need to do. Mm. And I truly believe you don't, a guy, you won't die if you don't have sex. 
it's not a need like needing to go to the bathroom. Right. I don't need to give my husband sex, but I want to. Right. Right. Okay. And that's the difference. We want to want to because we trust each other. It's intimate. It's special. It's not just I need to because otherwise he will run away. And that's what society is teaching our girls. So that's why they tend to send more sexting, uh, naked photos. And then the guys are more visual. So there's both of uh, both sexes is getting involved in these dangerous online things. Let's just say it like that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, Natasha, as always, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. I appreciate you coming on. And I, again, I think this, we can make this a season thing. Well, I love to stay in touch because, you know, you talk so much about what's important in these kids' lives and things that we don't want to talk about that we need to talk about. So I appreciate you for, you know, being skilled in your craft and doing what you do and providing the information that we can use as a community. Yes, thank you. And you go and raise that successful uh, kids out there in their sports. I love watching them and seeing them grow. It's, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, have a good weekend. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Yes, yes, we will. Thanks so much for your time. Enjoy thank it. You, <laughs> bye bye. Thank you. Bye. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. Uh, we want to thank Natasha for coming on and uh, shedding light on different things that we need to hear as parents, coaches, um, just everyday people that deal with athletes, young adults, um, different ways that we can uh, interrupt those different behaviors when kids are distracted. Um, those things are very important when you're dealing with young adults and athletes. So again, thank you, Natasha, for coming on and giving us uh, your expertise on these different topics. All right, Triple Threat Podcast. We'll be right back. Don't forget to subscribe to the Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's Triple Threat spelled 3-R-I-P-L-E-3. H-R-E-A-T Triple Threat Podcast We'll be right back What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes first of all getting them prepared from the academic standpoint which as you know as well as I do Bobby that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy to be able to train properly to get the proper education and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college but i love what jermel is doing it's a wonderful program hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs looking out for the best interest of a youth the future of this country is in our youth and everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful and and i can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people you can follow us on facebook and instagram at jamel president and on twitter at president jamel Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.